Please turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel according to Luke. During most of the last year, during 2020, we studied the Gospel of Luke week by week. And now we return to our studies in Luke and we'll pick up our reading where we left off in Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. Luke 10, and I'll begin reading in verse 38. Please give your full attention to God's word. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. About nine years ago, when I was interviewing to become a pastor here at Oakwood Presbyterian Church, I was thrilled to find out that the elders of this church had recently been studying a paper written by Pastor Tim Keller that was called, What's So Great About the PCA? That paper was written by uh, Reverend Keller because he saw the, the potential for division among our churches. And it was a plea for us to help, to help us understand each other better and work better towards unity among our individual churches in our denomination. In that paper, and I'm going to give a very inadequate summary of of what he talked about there, but at the core of that paper was a distinction that, that Tim Keller made between three types of churches or three tendencies of churches or three emphases of different churches. The first type of church that he talked about, he called doctrinalist churches. These are churches where church authority is strongly emphasized and an emphasis on biblical study, biblical understanding, biblical wisdom, and particularly a strong pursuit of doctrinal purity and precision. Those are doctrinalist churches. The second kind of church that he talked about was called a pietist church. Churches that focus on individual piety. In other words, the experience of the individual in discipleship. Personal devotion, personal prayer, worship, personal discipleship, and evangelism. These are churches that focus upon the experience, the feelings, the the, uh, piety, the the acting out of discipleship. The third type of church he talked about was called culturalist churches. These are churches that the emphasis is on engaging the culture, engaging the community, being out there, serving, bringing transformation to all aspects of society and all aspects of life, and especially a a focus upon serving the poor and the needy and the oppressed. His point was that churches, because of the people that make them up, are going to tend to one of these three directions. And he said, within our denomination, within our theological circles, 
churches tend to fall into one of these three tendencies, these three emphases in ministry. It's very similar to what Pastor Owen often talks, if you hear him Sunday in and, every Sunday in and out, what he'll talk about is the head and the heart and the hands. How often have you heard him say that? That that is his way of summarizing these different aspects of the Christian life. Our head in terms of our concern for truth and doctrine, our heart in terms of, of experiencing the love and that relational aspect of our Christianity, and then our hands in terms of serving the Lord in many different ways. Well, Keller's basic argument was that as individuals, as congregations, and as a denomination, we need all three of these emphases in order to be healthy, in order to have a healthy ministry. And our tendency is to judge and, and, and distance ourselves from those who have different tendencies. But what we need is to embrace each other. And it's just like the different parts of the body have different gifts and different strengths to work together to make sure that we stay balanced in all aspects of our ministry. I, I say all that as background because I really think in, in, in a real sense that that's what Luke is doing here in Luke chapter 10. If you remember a couple of months ago when we last looked at Luke chapter 10, in the beginning of chapter 10, it's focused on how Jesus prepared and then sent out 72 of his disciples to go out into the countryside, to go out into that region, to preach the kingdom, to heal the sick, to cast out the demons. It was focused on the service of those 72 and the effectiveness that they had in ministry. Then in the middle of chapter 10, he tells the very familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. And the Good Samaritan is about how Jesus has ministered to us in our brokenness and weakness and how we must reflect that grace and service of Christ to us by going out and serving others and caring for those who are broken and needy. But at that point, it's interesting that Luke concludes chapter 10 with this short account of this brief visit that Jesus made to friends of his, a family made up of two sisters and a brother, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. This story is placed here. It's interesting its placement because it says at the beginning in verse 38 that, that they, Jesus and his disciples entered a village. Now we know because there's two other visits of Jesus to this family in, in the Gospels. One is in chapter 11 of John when Lazarus is raised from the dead. And then third, when Jesus comes to the home again for another meal. And so of those three visits... We think that this one is placed here out of chronological order. We don't know that for sure, but it, we tend to think that it's out of order in terms of chronology because it says that, they, that, well, we know from John chapter 11 and 12 that the village that Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived in was Bethany, which was two miles from Jerusalem. But if you remember a couple months ago, in, at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus and his disciples were still in Galilee, and he was wrapping up his Galilean ministry. And so it's unlikely that he is, the next thing that happens when he leaves Galilee is to be in Jerusalem. There's quite a bit that happens in between time-wise. And so why did Luke, which, and Luke is often known to do that. He'll move things around. He doesn't necessarily follow chronological order. That's how we want to read a biography, but that's why the Gospels aren't biographies in that sense, that they, they don't necessarily report things in chronological order. They'll group things together to show a theme or to show a lesson something about Jesus and his ministry. And so why does he include this story about Mary and Martha here? Well, I think 
It's to get at this issue of our emphasis on our head, our emphasis on our heart, and our emphasis on our hands. Particularly, the distinction between those who are doers and those who tend to be listeners, students. And that's what we see in these two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, I'm going to admit to you up front, I'm doing a little speculating here. It's hard not to. Uh, why, why is this story important? I think, and I'm going to be speculating a little bit, and I'm actually going to be reading some stereotypes into these two women, and I want to apologize to them, uh, first of all, because none of us wants to be stereotyped. But they do tend to fit into a personality or a temperament or, or a lifestyle type that I think we'll all empathize with, and I think it will show us why Luke felt it was important for us to hear about this interaction. In these, this visit, we're going to see that Mary and Martha were very different. And I'm sure that they are very different in their personalities, very different in how they approach life. I think that that's reflected in this story. And we know that from our own families. My wife and I had five kids, and we still have five kids. And among those five kids, you could, I still, to this day, do not know how my wife and I, with our combined gene pool, cr created these five different kids, because they are radically different from each other. They don't look alike. Two of them have red hair, for heaven's sake. Where did that come from? And they have different personalities. We have a couple of introverts. We've got a couple of extroverts. We have a couple that I would call thinkers. We have a couple that I would call doers. We have one that I would say is a feeler. You know, they're very different because God has wired them differently, created them differently, gifted them differently, brought them through different experiences. And so we recognize that there are stereotypes. The reason there are stereotypes is there's some reality to the way that we tend to act according to certain patterns. And so I think it's legitimate to say that Martha in this story represents the doers among us. Some people are just doers by nature. They're active. They've, they're quick to seize and, and, and fix a problem. They're quick to take charge. They tend to be the leaders. We, our guess is that Martha is the oldest because of uh, several things in these texts. First of all, whenever the, either Mary and Martha and Lazarus are mentioned or Mary and Martha are mentioned, Martha is always mentioned first, which is a Jewish way of signifying who's the oldest in the family. In this account, and also in John chapter 11, when Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead, Martha is the one who comes to greet Jesus first, which again shows that she was, in a sense, a head of household in that sense. She was an older sibling. In verse 38, it says that she welcomed Jesus into her house. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that she was a sole owner of it, but it may indicate that she actually owned the house and that she had brought a younger brother and a younger sister in to live with her, in which case she may have been a widow. We don't know. Again, that's really speculative. We don't know. But it is, we think, an indicator that she was probably an oldest child. She is the hostess in these visits that Jesus makes to her household. She's the hostess. So again, just all signs that she probably was an oldest child. But if it's a stereotype, doesn't it? Oldest children, and I apologize to those of you who are oldest in your family, but it is true that oldest children, there's positives to be an oldest child. You tend to be, tend to be a leadership type. You tend to feel responsible for all the other, especially younger siblings in the family. You tend to be 
have a, a very strong sense of duty. You tend to uh, be a rule keeper and tend to be a little bossy at times. That's just a characteristic of oldest siblings. We've seen it in many families. But having said all that, I, want, I don't want you to get a negative opinion. And it's going to be easy, I think, in this short story to get a negative opinion of Martha. Martha loved the Lord. She loved the Lord dearly. And as a matter of fact, Martha gives one of the strongest statements of faith that you're going to find in the gospel accounts. In John chapter 11, remember when Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who believes and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It was Martha who said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. That's amazing that she had such a strong statement of faith before his crucifixion, before his resurrection. It's right up there with Peter's confession of faith in Jesus as the Messiah. But it says in verse 40, Martha, the hostess, is distracted with much serving. The Greek word there for distracted means to be dragged away. Or as we might put it in our day, she's pulled in many directions. Trying to keep all the plates spinning. Trying, literally trying to get all the preparations done for Jesus. And it's very likely that his disciples were there with him. So we're talking about, and we don't know if Lazarus is there, he's not mentioned, but we're talking at least 15 people probably for a dinner party that she's hosting. 15 people, maybe 16. And so she is distracted with much serving. At the same time, Mary is presented in a very different light. Mary, I think, if Martha represents the doers among us, then I think Mary represents the other two types. The feelers and the thinkers, the relational, the emotional, and the contemplative ones among us. When Jesus sat down at, inside their home and began to teach, Mary immediately leaves Martha to do the chores and goes and it says, sits at the feet of Jesus. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, I'm, I'm sure we can take that literally that she literally went into the room and sat down on the floor at the feet of Jesus to listen to his teaching. But that is also a phrase that was used in Jewish culture to speak of a formal discipleship. Remember, Paul in Acts said that he sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That was, he was giving his education as a credential. He was a, an official disciple. He was formally discipled, taught by Gamaliel. And that's the same phrase that's used here. And I think it's one of those many indicators. And, and Luke, as a gospel writer, was especially conscious of this to show us how Jesus elevated women within his people, within his, his disciples. He elevated their status from where it was in that culture. Because the Jewish people, just like the, the Romans and other, almost every other culture, they relegated women to second-class status, especially when it came to education. But Jesus didn't do that. He elevated her to the same status. She was sitting at his feet, and I think Luke was hinting at that when he uses that phrase. Now, it's possible that Mary was just being a typical, stereotypical youngest child, if she was the youngest of the siblings. I don't know if she was or not. But I can em empathize. I was the youngest in my family. And youngest siblings, we tend to be spoiled. We tend to be a bit lazy. We're very happy to have other people serve us. We're very happy to receive, and we're not so quick to give. We tend to be a little self-absorbed and selfish. 
And as a result of that, I think in the positive sense, we tend to be more contemplative in life. We tend to think more at times. But maybe she was just being a youngest child, if she was. But that's not what this story is focusing on. It's the fact that she left the serving to come and sit at the feet of Jesus. And that's what created the conflict. You know, Mary, again, if we talked about the strong commitment and love that Martha had for the Lord Jesus Christ, if you look over at John chapter 12, you'll see that Mary loved the Lord Jesus Christ deeply because there's that beautiful story that when Jesus comes for his third visit, Mary comes with a jar of extremely expensive perfume and she opens the jar and pours it on Jesus' feet and washes his feet with her hair as a sign of love and adoration and worship. And so Mary loved the Lord Jesus Christ and so she goes to sit at feet and this creates a family conflict. It's one that if you've ever been a part of a family, if you have a family, you know this conflict because you've got Martha, the doer, out working on the meal, away from Jesus and the disciples and Mary. She's working on the meal. Mary has left her to do it by herself. You can imagine she's shooting dirty looks across the room at Mary. You can imagine she's banging the pots loudly to make the point that she's working while everybody else is sitting. But what it says is that her anger and resentment grows. And, this, this, and it really shows how that anger and resentment can create other sin because what she does is she actually goes and accuses Jesus of not caring for her. So she goes to Jesus, just like, you know, like every sibling goes and says, Mama, Dad, you know, so-and-so is not helping me, make her help me. That's what the authority in the room here is Jesus. And so Martha goes to Jesus and she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. Not only is she angry at her sister Mary, she's perturbed at Jesus that he's allowing this injustice to go on. But notice how Jesus responds to her. He rebukes her, but it's a very gentle, affectionate, loving rebuke, isn't it? He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Now, it's interesting that he doesn't rebuke her for serving. He doesn't rebuke her for what she was doing. He, re he rebukes her for her attitude, for the resentment, for the anger, and the worry, the worry about these things. She was doing this in the flesh. That's how you know if, you're, if you're, your activity, your ministry, your service, that's how you know if it's in the flesh or not, if it's driven by worry, like Martha's service was driven by worry. And his main point here is that it had the wrong priority, that in her heart she had the wrong priority. She was fretting about many things. She was fretting about how clean the house was, about how the food was being cooked, about the needs of the guests being met. She was fretting about being a good hostess. And these were not without value, but they were far less important than what Mary was devoting herself to. Mary was sitting at the feet of Jesus. In Matthew 13, Jesus tells a parable about a sower and the seed. And it's as, it, as he explains the parable later, the sower sows the seed. The seed represents the word of God. And as he sowed the seed in the field, that seed fell on different types of soil. And the different types of soil represented the state of the hearts of the people that received the word of God. And the one type of soil he called the thorny soil. Do you remember how he defined the thorns? What were the thorns? 
He says the thorns were the cares of this world that choke out the growth of the seed. And so I ask the question, what are the thorns in your life? What are the things in your life that chokes out the time that you should spend sitting at the feet of your Lord? What are the thorns that are choking out the spiritual growth in your life, the cares of this world? Many of these things are good things. Your job can be a thorn. Your hobbies can be a thorn. Your family responsibilities can be a thorn. Your cell phone can be a thorn. Your computer can be a thorn. Anything that chokes out this time you spend sitting at the feet of the Lord. You notice that Jesus commends Mary for her desire to be with him, her desire to receive from him his word. He says, Mary has chosen the good portion which will not be taken away from her. Martha was focused on being a good hostess, but Mary was focused upon being a disciple. Martha was focused on serving the Lord, but Mary was focused upon being served by the Lord. And I think that's an important distinction. And I think that speaks to a problem that people that are naturally doers, that are quick to jump up and serve, quick to, to seize upon solving a problem, quick to do, those that, that have that tendency in life, if you're a Christian, if that's the way you serve, then the focus gets upon your service and you get off of your focus off of your need to be served by the Lord. That's one thing that reading John Piper's writings many years ago really helped me to see is that the Lord doesn't need my service, but I need him to serve me. And my relationship with the Lord is based on his service to me, not my service to him. As it says in Acts chapter 17, Paul is preaching and he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. Yes, we must serve the Lord, but he must first serve us. We must receive grace, wisdom, and truth from him so that we might go out and serve. And that's the priority that he's teaching in this interaction with two of his loving disciples. Think about what it means to sit at the feet of the Lord, even in a literal sense. It means you're, you're, play, you're putting your place self in a place of humility. Yeah, now, I, I, I'm talking about Bible reading. I'm talking about Bible study, yes. But it's more than just Bible study. Because Bible study and devotions and that sort of thing can just be uh, on your to-do list. It can be part of you serving the Lord. Something you do. But that's not the kind of Bible study and devotions and, and time in the Word of God that I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is just keep that visual image in your mind of sitting at the feet of the Lord. Because what happens when you sit at the feet of the Lord? First of all, it's a position of humility. It's a position of submission. You're placing yourself in humility, in submission to the Lord and the word that he's about to give. And as part of receiving that word, if you're sitting at his feet, you have to look up at him. It's a place of adoration. It's a place of worship. And then as you sit humbly in submission at his feet, and as you look up to him in adoration and worship, he gives you his word and with his word comes life, strength, wisdom, power, transformation. 
That's what it means to sit at the feet of the Lord. You know, James is interesting. It's interesting, and theologians at times, even Martin Luther especially, really struggled with why James is in the New Testament. Because so much of the New Testament, so much of the writings of Paul is focused upon how we are not saved by works, we're saved by faith alone. And Paul continually teaches against a reliance upon works to be right with God and emphasizes justification by faith alone. But then you come to the end of the New Testament and there's James and his main emphasis is on the need to do good works. He, he says, you know, how can you claim to have faith and not have works? If you, if you claim to have faith but you have no good works in your life, then your faith is dead. But as every good theologian has figured out, they're not contradicting each other. What they're doing is emphasizing this priority that Jesus is teaching to Mary and Martha. Yes, service is necessary, but the word comes first. Growing in the word comes first, and then service. Receiving from the Lord grace and truth and wisdom comes first, and then comes our service. And that is not contrary to what James is teaching. Let me prove it to you. Over in James chapter 1, Listen to what he says. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he, what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing." Do you notice that the priority is there? You look into the word first, and then you do. Go to the word first. Receive grace and truth and wisdom and life from the Lord first, and then go and do what the word teaches. That priority is still in place just for James as it is for Paul. Some of you are more like Martha, maybe because of your birth order, maybe because of your personality, maybe because of your temperament. You're just quick to do, quick to take charge, quick to be in control, quick to be a leader, quick to act. You need to be more like Mary. You need to act against your temperament, against your personality, against your experience, and go to the Lord first, always, and listen, receive from the Word of God. Some of us are more like Mary. We like to sit and think. We love to listen to, to podcasts. We love to read Christian articles and blogs. We love to receive. We love to sit in church and be preached to. But we don't go out and serve. We don't go out and do. We're not known for what we do. We know for what we think, how we feel maybe, for our religious experience, but not for our religious action. You need to become balanced in your walk with Christ. But the priority is always going to the Lord to receive through his word and through his spirit first. The church needs all three. In our church, we have people who are more the theologians in the church, more the, the students, the Bible study type people, the teachers. We need those people in the church. But we also need the servants, the ones that are quick to serve. But we need not to judge one another. We need to affirm and support and encourage one another and remind each other of, of how we need to grow in our weaknesses. 
Jesus quoted Moses, and he said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't ever get that priority wrong. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, as a church, it's always going to begin at the pulpit. It's always going to begin in the time and study in the word. That's always going to be our priority. But we receive so that we can give. We love in the way that we first have been loved by the Lord. This is how salvation works. The Lord serves us and saves us by grace alone, and then we go and serve in the strength that he first gives to us. This is how daily discipleship works. We receive from the Lord through his word and his spirit, and then we go out and serve in his name. This is one reason that, I know this is another place where you have to take people's tendencies into consideration. I'm a morning person. I get up early. I'm much clearer, much better thinker. I, I get more done in the morning. And as the day goes on, I get less and less effective. That's just my nature. I'm not a night owl. I go to bed early. I'm not a night owl. So I say this with some hesitation because this fits my temperament. But I really think that you ought to spend your time in the word and prayer and worship at the beginning of your day. Even if your day doesn't begin until 11 o'clock in the morning. You should begin your day because it helps you to keep this priority in place. I'm going to receive from the Lord through the word and the spirit and prayer. I'm going to receive from the Lord first, and then I'm going to go out and serve in his name with the strength and the wisdom that he provides. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this brief story. And I pray, Lord, that we have interpreted it correctly, that this was the message that you intended not only for Mary and Martha to get from that interaction, but for us to get. Because, Lord, we are not the disciples we should be. Lord, some of us spend too much time sitting at your feet and not enough time serving. Others serve without spending time sitting at your feet. Lord, we need both. But most of all, we need your word. We need your spirit. We need your, your saving, refining, sanctifying grace to transform us And as we receive from you then, Lord, show us how you want us to go out and serve in your name. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.